Hello and welcome to Project U. I'm your host, Leighton Collins. Um, so Project U, the podcast where we look through the lenses of careers and of your workplace, but we look most importantly at you. Last time we looked at communication principles, or a few hints and tips, uh, particularly with a view to um, communicating in the workplace and communicating online. We all need to be excellent communicators in our work life. And it's a really helpful skill to have in our personal life as well. So imagine the business person uh, at a conference in front of a big audience of potential investors. They need to be good at communicating. The teacher at the front of their classroom, some students really engage, some maybe not uh, so capable or maybe not as interested in your topic. They need to be good, clear, effective communicators. The nurse at the bedside speaking to the family about the patient in the bed, they need to know how to pitch it, they need to know how to make it clear, they need to um, have that warmth and have that openness for questioning. That experienced engineer working with a young apprentice, giving feedback that's going to be constructive, it's going to be well received on the progress that younger person is making. What about the security guard de-escalating a situation? There's a shoplifter, it's kicking off, there's swearing and shouting and potentially things could really blow up. The security guard is using effective communication to calm things back down. Effective communication is key, whatever you do. So I don't want you to think about this and go, yeah, but I don't give like presentations and do board meetings, so I don't really need this. Really important. We're going to look at in-person communication this time. And I want you to look through that lens of your career and of your work sector or perhaps the sector you're trying to get into. I know I always say that in the introduction, but it's really important. We're going to look at you and I want you to think about where you are at the moment with your communication skills, mainly in-person spoken communication. But we can think about your written communication as an extension. We can think about your listening skills, your inference, body language and that sort of stuff. So just like last week, I want this to be practically helpful for you, not just a theoretical discussion on the topic of communication. So I will throw in hints and tips as we go. So there we go, you being a more effective communicator, let's get into that. So let's think about voice, the pace at which you speak, the, the tempo, the rhythm, ba 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 Is it snappy and right through? Are you slowing down to make a point? And we'll talk about pauses as well, but just the pace at which you're speaking. And there's almost a rhythm, too fast, too quick, we're washing over too much stuff and we just lose sight and we're too, it can almost feel panicked, but equally too slow. And there is the danger that we lose the audience. We are really emphasizing the point, aren't we, by slowing the tempo down. But an hour of talking like that, my word, that would be a lot, wouldn't it? Think about the emphasis that you put on a word. Um, so I, can, I thought of a few silly examples with that. I used to be a youth worker. I remember still very clearly um, a lad had got a Toblerone at the tuck shop, uh, the pointy chocolate um, bar. And he was sat looking at the box and he was just saying over and over with his friend, Toblerone, Tobler one, Tublerooney. And they were going back and forth trying to pronounce this word in sillier and sillier ways. It made me laugh. Um, I remember getting a guest speaker in and I can't even remember what he was talking about now in school, but he used the word banana, but he pronounced it banana. And the whole crowd were thrown. I could just sense in the students in the room, they were like, all they took away from that man was 
he pronounces the word banana differently to how I pronounce it. Banana kept coming out. Or even, um, what's her name? The um, TV cook, Nigella, uh, Mikrawavi. And it became a bit of a kind of internet sensation that she pronounced microwave as Mikrawavi. So the emphasis that we give things, if it's not correct, we can lose the audience. If it's playful and we're purposefully doing something silly like a tublaruni, then actually that can keep the audience engaged. So just being aware. There's not a right pace. There's not a right tempo. There's not a right emphasis. But these are all tools that you have and you choose when to deploy them. Your volume. So the volume at which you're speaking, if you're not on a microphone, can they hear you at the back of the room? Do you slow it down and bring it right down to a whisper to make that point? They're right hanging on every word and you're just making clear the end of your story or the end of your point. And when do you need to kind of just really make it clear that this is the new thing and I've moved on to my next topic and we're going to kick off with a bit more volume so you can see the changes. The pause, I'm a big advocate of the pause. If you're a nervous speaker, the pause is terrifying. Um, if you're an extrovert and you like to externally process and talk a lot, the pause can be a little bit scary as well. But the pause is there for you and the pause is there for the audience as well. So you can do these things badly. You can do these things well. You're making a point. You throw in a pause. You might even look up to, to one side, that kind of thinking look. That pause is there to demonstrate this point is going somewhere and you need to come with me because I'm thinking about where we're going next. Sometimes there's a pause. I just dropped one there. Sometimes there's a pause which is made for effect. I've made a point. I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm going to let it land. You're going to have a second or two seconds to stew on it. Sometimes you might get five, six seconds to stew on it and you're really letting that point land. So the main theme of last week's episode on communication was about presenting. And the main point I was making is that you are the focus. PowerPoint, slides, hands out, they are just your aid and your backup. But you are the focus. And I would leave a pause to let that sink in. So if you only remembered one thing from that entire 20 minutes, it was that. Sometimes there's a kind of pause to relax, to let the joke land, the punchline land, the story finish, let the audience kind of, ah, that was nice. I've had a little pause to kind of take that in and we're going off onto the next top, uh, next topic, next point. That relaxation pause can be there for you. Sometimes it's appropriate to stop and have a little sip of your tea. Just like that. And it puts the audience at ease. Obviously, you're not going to do that in a, a kind of very formal environment but if you're a teacher at the front of your classroom and you're making your point and then the pause that you're going to leave the class is just while you walk to your desk have a little sip of your tea let that point land it was there it was useful think about filler words so filler words can sometimes be a bit of a killer and we need to be aware of them i try not to use um and ah and uh too much i find that i do use them sometimes sometimes they're there instead of a pause where a pause would be more effective even then, like that draw of breath that I just took, that's inviting you to think that there's more stuff coming because I need more breath to make my point. Ums and ahs, yeah, they're fine, as long as you're aware of them. There are other filler words, aren't there, and often used by younger people, but things like like, uh, or should I say things such as like, or you know, I mean, okay, starting a sentence with so, 
that is just they're like, uh, I'm going to make my point now. So I'm going to make my point now. Actually, basically, right. Do you get me? Do you see what I'm saying? They're all just fillers. Interestingly, they exist in other languages and other cultures as well. I used to work with a lot of Asian kids who uh, I guess there would be some Urdu or Arabic at home. Uh, and maybe not, actually, but the word walla was thrown into sentence and to it means kind of, you know, by God or like I swear or something like that. So they're making their point, chat, 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 walla, chat, 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 walla. And it's their way of saying, this is what I'm saying to you. I swear down. This is what I'm saying. Do you know what I mean? This is what I'm saying. I'm re- really honest with you. And it's just a filler. And I'm not even sure they knew they were doing it all the time. It's really interesting. And even some of their... Um, classmates who weren't uh, in an Arabic speaking household, they were embracing this filler word in the way that we might say, um, uh, so, okay, like, whatever. In Ukrainian, words like and and um are e or or i, uh, which kind of mean and or um, and you just fill in with sounds. I looked through online to find some others and some of the ones I really liked and forgive my pronunciation in urdu flana flana which means this and that or blah blah so you would throw in that sound if i'm pronouncing it right flana flana in the middle of your sentence and interestingly they exist in sign language so i'm speaking and doing stuff with my hands i don't speak sign language and you can't see me but there is a symbol that is that filler sound that um the ah so there we go no one to use them no one to avoid them be aware if when you're using them so that you can thin them out and that when one flops out of your mouth, you go, oh no, I've just said it, um, need to not do any more of that. Vowels and articulation often relate to our dialect. Now I'm from Sheffield and I think I'm probably sound Northern, uh, but I'm reasonably well-spoken and I can speak well in a meeting. Uh, When I'm talking to a teenager, I might change the tone of my voice and my vowels and things like that. But these regional dialects and and kind of accents, they give a certain connection and they can make a certain unconscious point as well, can't they? Now, you can't help your accent. And I wouldn't say, you know, knock the edges off and and do away with it. But there's a reason why the call centers get filled with Geordies. Is that some research that shows they're more trustworthy? Or Sean Bean doing all these down-to-earth Yorkshire accent for his TV adverts? Or that RP or the Queen's English, it's sometimes called that smart, clear, proper BBC news presenter kind of thing. So know when you're going to speak. And with all of these things, the last point on voice, and it'll probably be the same for body and face and language as well. Change is effective. Change makes a point. Transition stands out. So if you're using very proper English, and then suddenly you throw in a colloquialism or your real accent, it will capture the audience. Do you get me? It'll stand out. If you're speaking in a fairly easy to hear voice and then you slow it down and you go quieter, it'll make it stand out. And people who are beginning to zone out suddenly switch back on. Oh, hang on, something's changed. I better pay attention, see what's happening. So voice really important, whether we are on a camera, on a stage, in a meeting, one-to-one, telling someone off, doing something more positive. Voice is key. 
let's have a look at body because that's going to go with it as well. I'm, I'm going to save your face and facial expressions uh, for another point. We're going to look much more at body and body language. Let's think about our body and how we use that. At the, at the very basic level, our body is saying loads. So we're speaking and the words are coming out of our mouth and perhaps the audience understand my English language. They can pick up on uh, my intonation and my pronunciation. Maybe they can't pick up all all of those factors, but they can, provided my body is saying what I'm also saying, they can pick up on that. So a lot of the psychology would show that the external kind of outworking of what's going on internally, whether that's emotion or thought, is some, is what our body gives out. And sometimes they don't match. So if I'm telling you a lie with my words, my body might actually kind of dob me in and make it clear that, you know what, the words coming out are not true. If you think on a more positive uh, sense, think about like a foreign language speaker, someone on the TV, perhaps someone confident and capable, maybe a political like a president or a business leader. And they're saying stuff and you don't understand a word that they're saying because they're not speaking your language. But the way they're holding themselves, the way they're perhaps moving around the stage or the thing uh, as they're kind of on camera behind the lectern or whatever, you get the sense that they're saying something important or significant or whatever. Maybe you are unfortunate enough to have an accident overseas. You find yourself in a hospital with a foreign nurse who doesn't speak your language and you're trying your best, but the words would, aren't helping because you don't speak their language and they don't speak yours. But their body language would emphasize who they are and, and what they're about. They're kind, they're caring, they're here to help, they're looking after you. There's psychology and research that shows that reassuring touch. Now, maybe you don't like being touched and when you are chatting away and someone pats you on the knee or whatever, you, that annoys you. But there is research that shows that kind of reassuring touch on the arm, perhaps from like this example, a nurse. It's less than, it's a fraction of a second that shows reassurance. And that would translate a lot, wouldn't it? So that foreign nurse relying on their body language which would hopefully be matching what they say. Now, if you understand what they say, all the better. If they don't, then we can't follow their words, but we get the idea of what they're saying. So let's have a little think about body language. Think about your posture. Now, it's hard to say in every situation, it's going to be the same thing. Maybe you're sat, maybe you're in a, a more friendly, kind of relaxed social event. Maybe you are giving a speech at a wedding. So still a friendly audience, but high stakes on you and you're standing at the head table. Maybe you're in a business situation, but are you relaxed? Do, is your body um, kind of posture, do you normally stand up quite straight? Do you have quite a confident posture? Are you even aware of your posture? Do you slump? Are your shoulders arched forward? Do you find yourself shrugging a little, a lot because actually you're quite nervous? And so as confident as your words are, the shrug of your shoulders is saying, I don't even know if what I'm saying is legit. I'm not sure. Are you moving your feet? Are you, have you got room to move around or are you absolutely fixed in one place? And what does that say about you? Think about you listening to someone else. If it's meant to be a bit more engaging and, and dramatic and energetic, but they are fixed in one place and their body doesn't move and their hands don't move, you kind of think, what's this about? So does your body language bring energy? Does it bring drama and should it for that situation? The big one, um, if you ever find yourself like on a stage or at the front of a meeting where you're having to kind of make a point and there's nothing to hide behind, there's no table, there's no computer, there's nothing to have in your hands, what do you do with your hands? 
Are your hands in your pockets? Do you have pockets? Are they behind your back, nice and formal? Are they in front of you? If you cross your arms, fold your arms, that's closed body language. And it kind of says to your audience, I'm not sure I want to be here. I'm, I'm very closed. I want this to finish as soon as it can. I'm a little bit nervous. Are they just flopped by your side? Um, are they held rigid in one place or are they moving around as you speak? Is it too much? Are you flapping around with crazy flailing and it becomes a distraction and I'm not even listening to the person anymore because what on earth are they doing with their arms and their hands? Or does it match what you're saying? Are they open when you're open? Are they pointing one, two, three, which I'm doing even here on a recording to make your key points that you're making? The three factors that you're looking for in effective communication are boom, 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 and you three fingers go up. Are you pointing with a hand perhaps to emphasize that key point? So as the point comes out, your hand shoots forwards almost subconsciously. You're talking about um, those profits have gone up this year. So your hand automatically raises up slightly, maybe a flat hand, palm up, slight lift of your hand or something, you know, it's, it's good news about your medication. You're talking to a nurse and they're saying, this is great news. That medication that you've struggled with, um, we can take that down now. So even as I'm saying that, my palm is face down, I'm kind of pointing down, patting down with my hand to match the words of, you know, we're going to move your treatment to once a week. This is really good news. If you conflict with your verbal communication, and I was saying the profits are going up whilst pointing down, or it's really nice to see you with a kind of, you know, thumbs down or something. If my body is not aligned with um, my words, then it causes confusion. It causes a distraction. Even then thinking about your general body, your posture, your hands, what about your head? Your head can say a lot as well. There's a lot of research there as well. So um, the research would show that a stable head shows like authority or seriousness, but movement is powerful. So think about if you're coming up with it, if you're discussing something and you're saying, I just want to think about this, almost automatically, I find myself looking kind of up slightly to the left as if that thought is just hovering a few inches in front of my face. I'm just looking at it. I'm dragging it into my brain. I'm going to tell you that thought. If I'm showing empathy to someone, this isn't something I kind of learn and put on, but you can be aware of it. And if you're aware that you don't do these things and you want to, then you can work it into your body language. If I'm showing empathy, I tilt my head slightly to one side. There's probably some psychology to that. I find that I do it. I find that other people do it to me. If you're talking about stuff and you agree and the other person's saying something you like and you're saying stuff they like, you'll find you're nodding, just little flicks of your head or it's not like a big kind of yes or no. Um, but that nod is for affirmation and yes, we're on the right lines and I like what I'm hearing and maybe even my head moves forward. The important thing is that I match what I'm saying. My words, my body, my hands, my head, they're all singing from the same hymn sheet. They're all speaking the same language. And then I guess the last part of body, we could go into so much detail and you could really think about this. It is about being self-aware. You can learn these, these skills. They're not kind of born traits that we have. You can learn this stuff, but think about movement. So if you're in person and when I say stage, that could be an office. It could be a small meeting room. It could literally be a stage with a thousand people in front of you. Does your movement emphasize a point? Do you want to be fairly fixed because this is a serious, somber moment? 
and you know maybe maybe there's a technical need that I need to be near the microphone or maybe the microphone can be on me and I've got a little tie mic or maybe I don't need a microphone but that sense of I'm fixed here on purpose not just for the benefit of the te- of the technology you could step forward or you could retreat backwards and what does that say about you imagine if you will that I open I'm on stage I'm opening my talk at a conference I'm doing a little seminar and I come on and I say, hello, welcome. I'm going to speak to you today about how we can grow through failure. It's going to be really helpful for you as you contend with the fact that that is a rich place of growth. But imagine I've started at the front of the stage and I'm stepping back because stepping back feels like leaving, doesn't it? And I'm talking about hello and I'm starting and this is exciting. Imagine I've got my arms folded. Imagine my head is dipped down. I'm almost looking at the floor and looking at my feet like I don't want to be here, like I'm not very confident in what I'm saying. So my body is completely opposed to what I'm saying. It should be something different, shouldn't it? Hello and welcome, I'm here to speak to you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm taking a step or two forwards and I'm kind of, my hands are doing quite open things and this because I'm here and I'm talking to you. Do you see what I mean? If like me, I like um, stand-up comedy and if you're like me, then you'll appreciate the stuff that you've seen and you may have not even recognised So a lot of the best stand-up comics will obviously use the stage and move around. They're performers, and the same in theatre or the same in any sort of live performance, singers as well. But the best stand-up comics, it's one person on stage, and they're able to tell a story, and tell a story with multiple characters at the same time, all of which they are kind of embodying without props and wigs and hats and changes of, uh, of costume and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes it's as simple as... Character A is over to the left of the stage and I'm going to turn my body to face towards the right of the stage. I'm going to take a couple of steps over here and character B is over on the right of the stage and then turn to face left. So you can see, can't you, one character is facing generally to the right and I don't have to put a voice on for that character. The other character is facing towards them from the other direction and I don't have to keep flipping between silly voice one and silly voice two. Even if that bit of embodiment is only for a matter of seconds might even be in your business presentation when you almost step out of what you're saying to bring in the customer voice. You know, our research is showing and you almost take a little step and you become that customer. They're saying this, blah, 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 and then back into your spot. So think about that, actually. If you are kind of in a position and that's like your presenting position, your central position, you might actually unconsciously step away from it for that bit of story or that bit of voice we may totally step out to tell this much more natural story and then you come back to your original position to jump back into that narrative of your business training or whatever let's think about your face so what does your face say um do you find that you have quite a naturally warm face i really struggle to not be smiling and sometimes i need to be aware of that if i'm delivering Um, very serious news, I'm having a very kind of serious or somber conversation, I need to remember that that smile needs to come off because that's my natural thing. But maybe you aren't quite so smiley and you need to remember to stick a smile on. There are those kind of fake smiles and they can be quite recognisable. So do you kind of train and practice a little bit into kind of that real smile, the smile with your eyes, isn't it, is what people often say, so that you're saying this really positive thing, you're being really friendly and warm, you're chatting away at a, at a party and there's a smile on your face, but also they can see it in your eyes that you're interested and maybe even the little nod of your head to one side for that empathy as well. Are you keeping eye contact? Is it appropriate? 
I've done um, like mock interviews with with school students before. And I remember one really clearly. This kid had clearly been told, get in there and make eye contact because that's good. That's what you need to do. And this kid stared at me for the 10 minute interview, just literally fixed on my eyes. So I was the one having to kind of slightly look away down at my notes and then look back up. And I could sense even when I looked away, they're staring at the top of my head where my eyes should be. And it was this sort of panicked thing that they'd learned. So sometimes change and transition helps to make a point, whether that's in our tone, our body language, our hands, or even if you are being polite and holding eye contact, to look away and then to look back. And as you look back, it makes your point land just like that pause did when we're talking about your voice. So think really carefully about your face. Um, actors are fabulous at, at portraying all the range of emotions with their face. Some actors, they can wear a partial face mask if the role requires it, and their eyes or their eyebrows or their chin can demonstrate that they're sad or that they're angry or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So be aware of that because your emotions should match your body, should match your hands, should match your voice, should match the words that are coming out of your mouth. So that's our last little thing to think about before we really look at the foundations of how you speak. The last thing is your language. Consider your audience. That was way back in that one of those first sessions on communication. Who are you talking to? So I have spoken to primary school kids, and it's not, I don't want to use the word dumb it down, but I want to make it accessible. And if I throw a word in that's a new keyword that I'm maybe introducing them to, I'm going to say the word and in the same breath, I'm going to break it down to something that I know is accessible for them. So I'm thinking about adapting the language I use. Equally, I've spoken to careers practitioners and professionals, and I know that they will go with me on a lot of stuff. So I can adapt to this kind of higher expectation of bits of jargon and you know, throwing in acronyms and kind of industry words and so on. Whatever job sector you find yourself in, talking to your colleague will be a different conversation professionally, um, as well as in your coffee break, but professional conversations will be different to those with your customer or your client. And imagine if your customer is an adult or a child as well, then you're going to just be that social chameleon, aren't you? think about um, some of the techniques that they teach in English GCSE, whether that's recently for you or a long time ago as it was for me, those sorts of rhetorical questions, things like alliteration to help make your point. So you're, excuse me, you're making your point, aren't you, with bits of repetition or um, that alliteration that's easier to land on. You'll notice a lot in adverts, actually, even if it's slightly unconscious and subconscious that you go, oh, yeah, they do keep using AAA in that point that they're making. Or they are opening the how do you feel about question. They're not inviting you to talk to the television and give your real answer. It's a rhetorical question for you to think. So the language is really important. The flow of the language. We've spoken about those filler sounds and the filler words. So where we've got um, uh, uh, even things like, do you understand? Are you with me? Do you get what I'm saying? It's okay, it's a nice little kind of pause to actually see if the audience is with you. But is that what you're doing? Are you actually pausing and saying, at this point, does anyone have any questions? Or is it an uncertainty in yourself of what you're saying? And so when you say, do you, do you get me? You're basically saying, I'm not sure I am gettable. I'm not sure I'm being clear enough if I'm asking, are you clear on this? 
be aware of repetitive words. They can be very powerful. That kind of repetition is really good. But if you find yourself using even the same superlative and you're, you're talking and this is excellent and this is excellent and the staff are excellent and the food was excellent and the statistics from last year's finances were excellent, you need to be aware that you need need a new word, don't you? So these things should jump out. I've said before, I am self-aware that I use the word stuff a lot um, when I'm talking about stuff and you can take this stuff from this talk and so on. So it jumps out when I say it and I'm a bit like, oh, no, I've said stuff again. So if you're aware of that, you know, you can do something about it, don't you? Just like our kind of emphasis of that tobler one and the microwave, try and if particularly if you're giving a talk or something like that, but even in the moment of a conversation, try and steer away from words that you know you get stuck on. So if you have that kind of, um, I don't know, implementation and you always get a bit lost somewhere in the middle, try and come up with a different word that means the same thing where you're not going to kind of lose your flow. It is good to take little moments to check in on the audience of how are we feeling about this? And you can observe them and that's really useful, but to give those moments where from a stage, it's probably not as appropriate, but in conversation, that sense of just making sure they're still with you. So think really about some of the um, language techniques that you can use. Where are you in your story? Is it a story or is it just a straight presentation? Is this a sad story you're telling to get some empathy and understanding and connection with the audience? Is it a funny little anecdote and that's appropriate to lighten the mood and it matches what you're saying? So that kind of best man speech at a wedding, you know, keep it clean. Granny's sat over there, but equally the crowd are expecting a little bit of humour and a bit of warmth and you can take a little bit of the mick out of the, your friend, the groom and, and that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? So think about where you are in the conversation, what it is you're doing at any moment and how you're making your point. Yes, sprinkle in that rhetorical questions, triplets, statistics, um, alliteration and all those kind of English techniques that you get. So we've looked at quite a lot, haven't we? We've thought about our voice and just the sounds that we're making. And then we've thought about our body broken down into genuine, our whole body, our hands, our head. There's so much more that you could look at as well, our movement with that. And then our face, our face communicates so much. And then the language was the last thing we got to, the actual words you're going to say, the script that you're going to learn or those bullet points you're going to go through or the slide that's behind you or whatever. You could be saying one thing and if everything else is stacked against you, you could be saying that this company is fantastic and you you really must partner with us and you're going to thrive by doing so. But if your face doesn't agree and you're shaking your head and your body language is quite closed and your arms are folded and your voice isn't very engaging, they're not going to engage with your business, are they? So we come right back to like the foundation of how we're speaking. And again, I, I mean this point, it's not just about presenting from a stage. It could be one-to-one -one in a much more natural or even social moment. But nerves. Now, it is okay to be nervous. It's actually quite a good thing, isn't it? So we go back to that story. And the first time that I met my wife's parents and grandparents, I was nervous because it was important. I wanted to make a good impression. Even as a, a fan going to the Sheffield Wednesday playoff final, where I've got no impact on the out, um, outcome of the game, I was nervous. 
but nerves motivate us, don't don't they? So if I'm not nervous about something, it kind of shows that I don't care. So it is okay to be nervous, but let those nerves come from a place of motivation of like, yeah, I really want to ace this. I want to do a good job. And I'm a bit nervous about not doing a good job. Therefore, I'm going to be better prepared. I'm going to think through how I do a good job. As you're aware of yourself and all the factors we've spoken about so far, if you are quite a nervous person naturally, if you don't like being in the spotlight and any of these situations puts you in the spotlight, if you are a little bit socially awkward or socially anxious, then be aware of this stuff. Is it a time when you are kind of rocking sideways or you're squirming in your seat or you're moving quite a lot, but it doesn't actually match those intentional movements we've spoken about of your body and your hands and so on. It's just this kind of irrational movement and jigging around nervous energy. Does your body say, I don't want to be here? You know, I used to say this when I would teach and if a kid sat down with their backpack on and they're sat at the beginning of the lesson in their chair with their backpack, they could be a wonderful student and they're going to engage, but their body language says, as soon as that bell goes, I go because my bag's on, I'm ready to go nothing stopping me so in a more nervous sense if you are kind of eyeing your watch and looking to the side of the stage or even kind of posed like you're ready to leave as soon as you can it will show so just be aware of the nerves be aware of what happens to you when you are nervous and try and practice and rehearse some of that out so if you've got a big important 10 minute presentation slot in an interview you've got an important um appraisal perhaps with management team or something like that go through it when the stakes are low or non-existent really sat in your kitchen or standing in front of your friend or your spouse or your housemate or whatever and kind of having a dry run of that presentation having a dry run of your little part of the kind of all staff meeting or whatever it is that's stressing you out and be aware of where the nerves kick in and be aware of what you do in order that you can not do it when you get nervous i stick my hands in my pockets but actually that looks really closed. So I need to, I need to remember to do stuff, but don't go too far in your remembering like that kid in the interview. I need to remember to keep eye contact to the point where I'm going to stare them right into the ground. Like I'm going to scare them with my eye contact here. So know where the balance is. Okay. I hope you find that helpful. There's practical hints and tips in there. Your voice. So my voice changes when I talk to my dad on the phone and my thick Sheffield accent and words and colloquialisms come out. So you can be that social chameleon. Know how to use your voice. Know how to use those pauses too. Your body, so your natural tendencies and what you do that you need to remember to correct. How do you bring drama? How do you bring energy? What's appropriate for the moment in time? What are you doing with your hands? What are you doing with your head? Does it all match up? Where's that eye contact? Where's that bit of movement of your body? So if you have a space to move around in, are you giving it a bit too much? Is this meant to be a more restrained kind of performance, if you like, by yourself? What's your face doing? How can you train that? You need to look at yourself in the mirror and you need to be aware that, okay, when I'm going through this part of my presentation or this part of talking about something, I get nervous and I start to giggle and I can't do that. And then language, because you could write genuinely the entire script for everything I've said so far, and that's not how I work, but I could write every word. And that is the language I'm going to use. But you can't just stand and read a script if you're in a business meeting or if you're speaking at a, a, you know, a wedding. 
yes, you can look down and have a few notes. And we said that the other session, the other time about Billy Connolly with these kind of five words penciled on the back of his hand. Lots to think about. Okay, I hope you find that helpful. Uh, we've kind of covered a little bit of kind of online presenting and bits of PowerPoint and stuff like that were sprinkled in there. This feels much more about personable, personality. And so personality is going to go everywhere with you, isn't it? Workplace, social, on that first date, meeting the granny, doing something much more, much more chilled out with your mates who you've known for a long, long, long time. But communication is key. I'm going to finish there. I'm going to say thank you so much. Uh, we've got another episode coming up next week. So I've just done this little two sessions on communication because it was very much something that was just on my heart at the moment and kind of rattling through my head. Um, so I hope you've found it helpful. I found it really useful to kind of reflect on this stuff myself. Uh, I hope there are key points you take from it. And even if from two whole episodes, the only point you take, you are the focus, you are the presentation. Everything else should be doing you a favor and supporting you, but you are the center. All right. Thanks for everything. As always, drop me a like, subscribe, review, whatever. Um, and until next time, I'll see you later. Bye.